Well, hello everyone, Paul Akers, and welcome back to the American Innovator. We're going to be in Berlin all day today, day 16, and get ready for some epic learning because it is intense. We are at the Memorial of the Murdered Jews of Europe, where over 2,000 concrete pilasters illustrate the number of people that were killed here. The hard thing to comprehend is in 1933, when Hitler came to power, Germany was largely a civilized, sophisticated society of poets, musicians, scientists. And in less than nine years, they became an industrialized state that killed and slaughtered six million Jews and six million other people who were either deemed unworthy of life, whether they're gypsies, whether they're disabled, or whatever criteria the Germans wanted to apply to them. And this all happened in just nine years. Basically what happened was people were unwilling to stand up and say, this is wrong. As the German Nazi party began to propagate the idea of hatred towards the Jewish people, very few people stood up and said this is wrong. And this is why this happened. This is a huge cautionary tale to all societies that we must stand up and speak our mind. Next, we continue our walking tour for three hours and we walk down the streets. We're in the East German section, if you will, and this is where the original bunker was where Hitler spent the last four months of his life. There was a school right here going through a little presentation and then we walked into this little courtyard where basically a playground is and that's where the entrance to Hitler's bunker was. Uh, recently, they built these new apartment buildings, but under East Germany, because the Russians had control of this area, there was nothing here. This was no man's land. This is right near the Berlin Wall. And the Russians basically buried this all up and covered it up and said, we don't want to have any history of Hitler. They excavated it, took videos of it, and then covered the whole thing up and basically forgot about it. Then recently a film was made about Hitler's bunker and his last four months and it became more popular and people started visiting the site. But there are no memorials, no plaques, other than that one map that the school is sitting in front of. And this is the one map of the bunker that was about 15 by 20 meters. Number eight is Hitler's personal area. Next on to a typical piece of Nazi architecture. This is the Ministry of Propaganda under Joseph Goebbels, built in 1934, and it still stands today, and it's still used by the government for government purposes. But this used to be a stronghold of the Nazi party. Now, Goebbels was an interesting guy. He was a PhD and he became attracted to the Nazi message in the early 20s. And his PhD is in German literature. In 1940, this movie was produced, The Eternal Jew, which basically propagated the idea that the Jews were responsible for every crime against humanity, whether it be banking crisis, poverty, drugs, anything. Everything was laid at the feet of the Jews based on this movie by a young German filmmaker and supported by the Ministry of Propaganda Absolutely. under Goebbels. Next, an amazing memorial to a man named Elzer. In 1939, a German man, not even Jewish, set a bomb in a column to go off to kill Adolf Hitler. It had a timer in it. It went off too late. It missed Hitler. He was on a train to Switzerland where the authorities caught him. They could not believe that he was not part of some organized uh, structure, but he just wanted to end the war. And here's a little more information about him as they captured him. He's also covered in blood and muck from where he's been crawling around in the dark and chiseling away. So it's sort of pointing towards him, perhaps, as the perpetrator. Now. The Gestapo also received the eyewitness 
accounts from people who worked in the bar. They said there's this little man they kept hanging around every evening. Maybe you want to go and check him out. So ordinary people gave the information to the authorities to go and hunt him down as well. Now he's interrogated for several months and he will say the same thing repeatedly. He said, I, I did this on my own and I did it to stop the war. No other reason. You won't find anything. No flies on me. There's no other reason why I did this. I did it because I wanted to, because I don't like Hitler. And the Nazi authorities couldn't ha sort of handle this. They said, look, no way. You must be working for somebody. They couldn't think that an individual could make a choice like this. Okay. So this could be a major embarrassment to the authorities. You have one little guy, a little carpenter fella from southern Germany. There could be millions of these little, little men and women out there dissenting, fighting back, protesting. Okay. They could never risk that. Now, they never had an overall majority. So they had to maintain order, as it were, their order, through brute force and basically consensus. They had to have enough people who consented to this. So if you have all these millions of loners out there thinking, no way, this has got to change, this could be a major embarrassment for them. So Mr. Elzer is shunted off to solitary confinement at a place called Sachsenhausen. He's detained there for several years, made to disappear really. But he's never killed, he's never taken off as killed. That's surprising. Yeah. Not until three weeks before the end of the war. Now there is a paranoia against potential subversives growing through Germany and well, he is one of the unfortunates to be selected and killed just before the end of the war. Now it's not till 2011 that this modern sort of installation is put here. Now there's also a film that I've just summarised you might have heard of called Elsa, He Could Have Changed the World. Mm -hmm. Now it's the same director who made the film you saw on the bus, the, the downfall. Oh, same oh. man. Yeah. In German again, so it does have subtitles, but it's, it's worth watching. It's, um, it'll give you a different view of those times. Next, a former Nazi building, the Ministry of Agriculture under Herbert Bacher. He devises the plan called the Hunger Plan to starve 30 million Russians, take their grain and ship it to the West, to the Germans, to feed the German population. All happened in this building right here. It's staggering the fact that these people had no idea about modern economics, that they felt they needed to control everything and to nefarious ends. This is the former Luftwaffe building under Goring. You can see there's lots of bullet holes in the side of the wall here where there must have been some kind of gun battle. You can see them all here. And then this is the actual place where Valkyrie was filmed with Tom Cruise right here in this courtyard right here. So the head of Luftwaffe was obviously Goring. So today it's the Ministry of Finance, but you can clearly see the Nazi architecture, very simple, very austere. Now interestingly enough, right across the street here, in this little park is where Adolf Hitler would begin to give his speeches in the early 20s and maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 people would show up. But by 1928, the majority of the population was voting for the Nazi party. It's staggering how quickly this all materialized. And then this building right here was also built mostly by slave labor. And the other interesting thing is it survived the war and the bombing of Berlin, which is quite interesting.
Now, the message of the Nazi party was basically they'd look at England, they'd look at other countries and say, look at all the problems they have there. But in Germany, we promise full employment. We're going to work with the private sector. We're going to create jobs. Everybody's happy. Everybody's prosperous. Germany is a great place. This is the propaganda that they spouted. We continue to walk along. We came to the Berlin Wall. We're on the east side of the Berlin Wall. Then we'll cross over to the we west side. We cross over from the east German side to the west German. This is the west German side of the wall. There's actually two walls with a big no man's land where you would be gunned down if you went anywhere. This is the one closest to the East German side. And then this is the remnants of terror where the SS and Gestapo had their headquarters under Gehring and Himmler. Now they were very brutal people. They actually organized the Night of the Long Knives against the Brown Church, which were people within their own party who had some opposition to the way they were doing things. Now you can imagine if they're willing to kill their own people what they do against their real opposition and anybody else outside of the Nazi party. These were very brutal people. So Goebbels designed this rally cry, total war, shortest war, as the war looked like possibly they could lose it in 1943. He was doing everything he could to mobilize as many people as possible in these rallies. Total war, shortest war. So as I walk through this, the one thought I have is I think the German people have done an excellent job of documenting this and being very transparent about it. And I think that is excellent. I think that's why Germany is doing so well today. One of my favorite stories about this period of time, in 1936, Lutz Long, the German athlete, suggested that Jesse Owens win four gold medals to give himself a little bit of margin during the long jump because he kept fouling out. Jesse Owens listened to Lutz Long and he ended up winning the gold against Lutz Long, who won the silver. They became lifelong friends and Jesse Owens deeply valued this relationship. This is the beauty of humanity. So I'm in a typical documentation center in Germany right now, actually in Berlin. You just saw, there's the wall that we were in. And this is called, this area is called topography of terror. You can see that right there. And you can see they've created this little model right here of all the Nazi buildings. And everything that's clear is a Nazi building. You can see a lot of them are clear. Everywhere there is actually a black dot is an indication of a Nazi building. Again, they've done just a great job of documenting all this, and it's really right out in the open, and I think that's a real testament to the way it should be done. Then on our way to our next stop, we stopped and had lunch at a traditional German pub, and it was fantastic. We had big pork knuckles. So I start this section, having come to East Germany in 1982, when I was in school in Germany, I crossed Checkpoint Charlie and I came over to the East German side, and that's where I am right now. Of course, it's all Germany now because it's reunited. But this is where the Germans surrendered to the Russians, May 8, 1945, in that building right there, which is basically a military mess, you know, where they would have dances, uh, coordinate events, and things like that. But we're going to go inside, and you're going to see what's inside. It's really an amazing museum. It's very obscure, very small, very much off the beaten track but beyond the Band of Brothers tour new to bring us here, and inside it is unbelievable. What I learned and experienced, we had an East German uh, guide who gave us a perspective through an Eastern perspective as opposed to a Western perspective. It wasn't entirely different, but it definitely gave us a picture of what the Soviet Union was seeing as the Germans marched through the Soviet Union on their campaign. So this is the actual room, the hall, where the Germans surrendered unconditionally to the Allies and particularly the Russians. They sat right there at the head table 
and this is where the whole thing happened. It was really hard to believe we were there. And again, the interesting thing about this, this is off the beaten path. This is in a residential neighborhood in a small little military barracks, if you will, where this all happened. Now, they created a diorama of the war of the Russians seizing the parliament building in Berlin. And our guide made a very interesting comment. He said, well, you're looking at this and it looks so horrific, you really can't understand what's really going on. Because they interviewed a Russian soldier who was there and they asked him, what was it really like? And he said, it's impossible for you to know because what you can't feel is the fear, the fear that you would die that day. And that clouds everything. You cannot imagine what it felt like to have both the fear, the smell, the taste, the noise, everything was at a deafening level. And to walk into a diorama where you hear explosions, but nowhere near the decibel level, to intermix that with the feelings and the fear of death at any moment is impossible for anyone from the outside to understand that unless you were there. And I thought that was fascinating to look at this whole thing through the perspective of having the fear of imminent death at any time. No matter how many times you learn about the Holocaust and what happened during World War II, it is incomprehensible to see it over and over again. This woman was used as a decoy to find out where landmines were. They used civilians to walk across fields to let them identify where the landmines were. Between 1942 to 1945, 30 million people starved. This woman went from that to this to 18 months, nearly unrecognizable. They rounded up women and children and put them in a ditch and shot them systematically. There was absolutely zero mercy at all. This was one of the most horrific things and we must not forget. This is a propaganda piece put together showing the Americans, the British, and the Russians, unlikely allies, team up against Adolf Hitler. They have him off balance, and his body is even in the shape of a swastika. Next, we have a poster that was produced by the United States that shows a Russian soldier saying, this is your friend, and he's fighting for freedom. Now, this is so unusual because this is not our typical ally. So like I said, every time I turn around, there's something else. So now I'm in front of the world-famous Reichstag, and Bismarck was the first one to occupy this, and then the Third Reich occupied this. Heavily uh, damaged in the war, but now here we are at sunset, it's beautiful, and this is where the German government has their main offices. And we are in a very prominent place of Germany right now. This is the capital of Germany, uh, Berlin. It used to be West Berlin, East Berlin, now it's just Berlin. So we end another amazing day at the Brandenburg Gate. Here I am in Berlin, used to be East and West Berlin, but now it's unified. And this is actually unification weekend. They're having big celebrations. There's people everywhere, very festive. We've got the US Embassy over here on this side. We have the French Embassy on this side. And this is right where the city used to be split. Is actually right here. The Berlin Wall came right down here. Lots of very famous speeches happened here. We know Ronald Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. We've had an amazing trip of learning so much about World War II history. We've studied it every which way. We've seen so many fantastic historical sites. All I can say is this has been a trip I will never forget. I feel like I've been in college for four years and in the course of the last 15 or 16 days beyond Band of Brothers tour. It has been epic. I've loved every second of it. We have one more day. Wait until you see what we're going to do tomorrow. Day 16, Beyond Band of Brothers tour, Berlin.
Well, hello everyone, Paul Akers, and welcome back to the American Innovator. We are wrapping up one epic journey on our last day in Berlin. We're gonna do some great learning today and conclude with resistance of the Nazi party, as well as a visit to Checkpoint Charlie. The learning never seems to stop, so let's get started. Here we are on day 17, the last day, and now we're focusing on the Cold War. And right behind me is Checkpoint Charlie. So in 1982, this is where I came as a young student, and I was very afraid when I walked through these uh, gates because I was headed this way to East Germany. And it was a huge contrast between West Germany and East Germany. And here I return now in 2016. This has been quite a journey charting everything that's been going on and I remember when I came through and these buildings right here were all bombed out and burned out but now they've all been restored but I remember all of them were bricked up and they were black from the war and it was really a distressing uh, scene and then I went into East Germany and it was also completely different from West Germany but today it's a whole different world the world is getting better Next, we went inside the Border Museum or Checkpoint Charlie Museum, and this poster says Yankee Go Home because the Soviet Union was not interested in the Marshall Plan and the millions of dollars that were being pumped into Europe to rebuild it. But despite that, they built the wall, kept their people from coming to the West, and their people were very ingenious, like this guy inside a fuel tank of a car. They did everything and anything to get across the border from East Berlin to West Berlin. This guy created a zipline system, threw a hammer across the wall, somebody received it on the other side, tied it up, and then zipped his son across the border. And this is what the border looked like in the no man's land. And I remember this very well when I went across it myself. These people armor plated a car, put concrete in the doors, steel plates in the front so that when the guards shot at them, they would survive it and they made it across. These people did all kinds of things. This man right here let a little boy go through and he was promptly dismissed. Here is an oxygen breathing system for swimming across the water, the lakes, the rivers, you name it, they did it. And this is the man that allowed this little boy to go through and actually was then dismissed as a guard. Very ingenious. This is Checkpoint Charlie as I remember it. You had to zigzag through to get over to the east and you had guard towers with uh, machine guns being trained on you and I'll never forget that passing. Then they had a section for famous U.S. presidents. Ronald Reagan's chainsaw was here. Ronald Reagan spoke. Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall and then John F. Kennedy. Ich bin ein Berliner. And then as we drove along these were the actual buildings that I remember burned out and very decrepit looking when I went into East Germany. There's a few of them still left. So this is a section of the Berlin Wall that they were left up that has a lot of graffiti and artwork on it. This is Brezhnev being kissed by the former East German Prime Minister. And you can walk along both sides on the east and the west and see all this artwork everywhere. There's people out there singing. This guy had a horse head on and he was singing with no clothes on. Pretty funny. Uh, it's a crazy place. And then this whole area of East and West Berlin, it's just a beautiful area. This is the river that runs down between the two of them. This was oftentimes a border. And then we went to a Russian memorial. Now, when the Russians laid siege on Berlin during World War II, they're said to have lost as many as 80,000 soldiers in one day. 5,000 of those soldiers are buried here, and it is a overwhelming memorial it's absolutely huge and I put the drone up and got an overview looking down into it to see how really incredible this was 
And our last stop was the Resistance Museum, where thousands of people resisted the Nazi regime and either lost their lives or were ostracized. The bottom line is there were so many people that stood up if they only could have been more organized. And this quote really sums it all up. How much less dangerously can one live if one runs with the herd and aligns oneself thoughtlessly with old tradition? Instead of swimming against the current for one's conviction, and bearing all consequences as an outcast. There you have it, conclusion to day 17 of our Beyond Band of Brothers tour throughout Europe. It was an epic experience with amazing historians and guides throughout the entire journey with great people on the trip. I can't tell you how much I learned and how much I enjoyed every second of it. I put together a day 18, which is the best drone footage from the entire trip. So look for day 18, best drone footage from Beyond Band of Brothers. We'll see you next time on The American Innovator.